0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, I grew up a pastor's kid, and I'm married to a pastor's kid, and I remember, especially in the summertime, there were always calls to the church, uh, are you preaching this Sunday, or is it going to be a guest speaker? And uh, if you're not preaching, I'm not going to come. So, I realize that some of you are here to hear Raja, and I'm kind of like the consolation prize, but I appreciate you being here, anyways. Hopefully, you don't leave feeling uh, disappointed in that. And uh, because we're a small church and because we pride ourselves in being a family and having great communication, I just want to take a minute and um, say to you this is coming to the end. Most of you know I'm almost at the end of my time here at UCC, and it's been an amazing year. I've loved every single minute of it. Uh, And you are also probably aware of the fact the reason why I am leaving UCC is because my husband is a pastor at another church. And this morning he's here for the very first time in the history of UCC. And uh, I'm so happy to have him here. And uh, he has just been such a solid rock behind everything that we've done in the last year. And even though he hasn't been able to see all the blessings that have come out of this church, um, he's been right there supporting us. So I just want to publicly say thank you to him. And uh, if you get a chance to meet him before the end of the service, or at the end of the service, please thank him or you can yell at him because he's the reason I'm leaving too, so... Either way. Well, as most of you know, we are studying the Bible. We're studying uh, misheard is the general interpretation to how people um, misinterpret the Bible. And uh, the first week, Raj just started two weeks ago, and he talked about uh, what, uh, where the Bible came from and how the Bible is ordained by God. And last week, we talked about how to interpret the Bible in just a general sense. We talked about um, Applying, observing, all the different things and in interpreting the Bible. And so this week, we are going to, sorry, we're going to dive into some scriptures that get misinterpreted all the time. Like I said, my time here is coming to the end, so I picked one of the most controversial things that I could find. If you hate me at the end of today, that's just fine. You can come and talk to me more. I'd be happy to, to uh, dive into it a little more with you. So back in two thousand, the year two thousand, when some of you were still very small children, uh, there was a book released. It was called Let's "See if This Works." The Prayer of Jabez. Anybody remember this one? Yes, yes. Anybody over twenty-five does remember this. So the Prayer of Jabez was written by a man named Bruce Wilkinson, and what he did is he took one scripture from the Bible. It comes from 1 Chronicles four ten. Keep going? Okay. Uh, And the, the scripture I'm going to show you, this is the book now. This is what it looked like for all of us who remember it back in the year 2000. Things change. This is what the verse says. Jabez cried out to God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. 1 Chronicles 4.10. Now, this is the only time that Jabez is mentioned in the whole Bible. This verse right here. Right before it, it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in my pain. So, Jabez actually means misery. So, here's this guy who comes along. He's had a terrible life. He cries out to God. He says, God, help me. And God granted his request, and that's the end. That's Jabez's whole story. So Bruce Wilkinson comes out with this book, and he says, here is the formula to get everything you could ever want from God. The book has sold more than 10 million copies. And on the back of it, it says, I challenge you to make the Jabez prayer for blessing part of the daily fabric of your life. To do that, I encourage you to follow unwaverly the plan outlined here for the next 30 days. By the end of that time, you'll be noticing significant changes in your life, and the prayer will be on its way to becoming a treasured lifelong habit. Sounds like weight loss pills or something like that, doesn't it? He's taken this one verse in Scripture, he's created this book, and he's told people this is the formula to get everything that you could want, right there, 1 Chronicles 4.10. It was such a phenomenon that he then created books for kids. He created Bible studies and devotionals and all kinds of things uh, that people could use in order to do this prayer on a regular basis. And there's a website where you can go on and you'll see people say things like, I prayed the prayer at nine o'clock and at 10 o'clock I had a new car in my driveway or I prayed this prayer on Monday and on Friday I was married to the guy I've always wanted to marry. Like it's... Just crazy. They have candles, they have shirts, they have keychains, all with the prayer of Jabez. They actually have an artist who has rendered what he believes is a picture of Jabez that you can hang in your house while you're praying this prayer on a regular basis. Now, I don't actually believe that Bruce intended this to happen with his book. I think there's some really good material in it. But people are so desperate to find the answers that they will just go for anything that they can get their hands on. There is a term that is becoming more and more well-known. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it's the idea that if we ask of God and we give to God, then we will get way more in return. So we're going to touch on that today. Uh, One of the main, I don't want to point fingers, but. In some cases, I'm going to have to. One of the main supporters of the prosperity gospel is Joel Osteen. And his wife, Victoria, last August, got up on stage in front of their church, tens, hundreds, thousands of people, and she said this. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, this is still her, not me, (laughs) just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy, she continued. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Wow. Now, if your life is going the way that you want it to go, then that sounds pretty good. If you can pray and get exactly what you want, you think, wow, you know, it's so good that I'm following God. My life is happy, I'm getting everything I ever wanted. But the question is, what happens to people who struggle? So I'm calling this the prosperity paradox. Does God want me to be happy, rich, and satisfied? There are people all over the world, there are people right here in this room who struggle every single day with something, something that you've prayed and asked God for hundreds of times and it is just not happening. There are people who are living in poverty, people living in pain and in persecution at some of these numbers here 43 million christians have been killed because of their faith since the time of jesus and 26 million of them have been killed in this century alone there are 200 million christians in over 60 nations that face persecution every single day because of what they believe so what do they have to say to people like victoria god just wants you to be happy So this morning we're going to look at some verses that we all know well. Hopefully I'm going to shed some light on what the verses are actually saying. And I told you last week that I'm mostly an an iPad girl, but this morning I brought my actual Bible. And I have to confess that I put it out on the counter, and my four-year-old said to me, what is that, Mommy? And I thought, we got a lot of learning to do here. (laughs) So if you have your Bible with you, or if you've got your phone and you want to pull it out, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures today. And the first one is Jeremiah 29. So in Jeremiah 29, everybody knows where I'm going with this. I told you you're going to hate me this morning. 29, I'm going to start at verse 4. So just to give you a little bit of background, this is a period of time where the Israelites are living in exile. So they uh, are, you know, having a rough go. And this is what Jeremiah, who's a prophet, writes to them. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, (laughs) Um, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for the sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you. In the name I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Here it is, guys. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So the verse that we are all familiar with, we hear it all the time, especially if you're graduating from university, you're going out, you're finding a job, getting married, all these great things are happening in your life. People will say, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So first of all, Let's just go back to a couple verses in there. First of all, he says in verse four this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's not speaking to an individual person, he is speaking to a whole group of people. So the whole Old Testament has been leading into people into the promised land. Now they've been taken out of their home, they're back out in exile again. God keeps telling them there's a plan, there's a plan, there's a plan. And then he says to them, "You are my chosen people, Israel. My plan for you is good." But the plan here is speaking to the people of Jerusalem. He then goes on to say in verse 7, "Seek peace and prosperity in the city to which I have carried you." He doesn't say, don't whine and complain about, or he doesn't say, go ahead and whine and complain about all the things that are going on in your life. Ask me to make it really great. He says, make the best of the current situation that you're in. And then he goes on to say in verse 10 the land will be restored in 70 years, not tomorrow in 70 years. For most people, 70 years is their entire life. So when we go to God and we pray and we say, you told me in Jeremiah 29 11, if I asked for this, that it would be delivered, God never promised that it would be given to us immediately. It was 70 years down the road. And then what I think is the most important verse here is in verse 13, where he says, you will seek me, And find me when you seek me with all your heart this isn't about asking God for what we want here on earth it's not about just assuming that our life is going to be great because it was great in this one verse it's saying that our lives are designed to seek after God to exalt God to make the best of the situation that we're currently in and from there he will give us a hope and a future. So Jeremiah 29:11 is not a promise to Christians today who lose their jobs or experience heartbreak or any kind. It's a promise to the Israelites that God on his own timetable and plan will restore his people. We're going to look at Luke 11. You hate me already, don't you? I know it. Okay. Luke 11. verses 9. Sorry, guys. I forgot how to use my Bible, too. Okay, now this is Jesus, and he's talking to the disciples, and the disciples have asked him, how is it that we are supposed to pray? And the first thing that Jesus does is he gives them the Lord's Prayer that we're all familiar with. He says... This is how when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. He goes on to say, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Here's the verse. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and he who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to the holy give the holy spirit to the ones who ask for it so right off the bat we know this is this is Jesus telling them how to pray and you remember from the lord's prayer he says give us this day Our daily bread. And then he shares the story about the man knocking on the door and asking persistently, begging him to bring him food. And again he says, Because a friend has come and I have nothing to set before him. What God is telling us here is that we need to ask for our basic needs he will always provide for us our basic needs he doesn't say here you know i need a lobster and six steaks and you know he's saying i need bread it's the most basic of all of the needs he's asking for his needs and jesus is telling us ask for your basic needs and i will provide for you things that are needed in our daily lives you know uh, just an example for my own life a couple years ago one of our cars died, and uh, we needed a new car. And we had already been promised uh, by my brother-in-law that he was going to sell us his car, and that in itself was a huge blessing because he was going to sell it to us for much less than it was worth. And so he said, "You need it right now." We said, "Yeah." So this was January, like coldest time of the year, and uh, he was going to buy a new car. He goes to the dealership, and. They say, okay, yes, we'll order you your car. It's going to take three months to come in. So he came back to us, and he said, you can have the car, but you can't have it until March. So we were trying to decide, what are we going to do? How can we survive with one car until March? And so we just started praying that God would provide for us, and we told some of our friends, you know, we're struggling. We only have one car. We need God to provide. And every week... God provided a different car for us to drive. So over a 12-week period of time, we got a new random phone message from somebody saying, we're going on vacation, do you want to borrow our car? Or we don't need it this week. Or we got a new car and this one isn't needed until we sell it in two weeks. And we... Made it to the end of that time in March, but not because we knew in January what was going to happen. It was a daily thing where we had to ask God for the need. And I kept thinking, like, can't somebody just say, like, here you go? But I learned through that process that asking God on a daily basis helped me to rely on him for everything. So when we ask God for our basic needs, it requires us to rely on him for everything that we need, on a daily basis and then the verse here that i think is so important we often skip over is that he says in verse 13 if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him so all this other stuff aside he's saying the best gift that i can give you is the holy spirit So we should be praying daily for the Holy Spirit's intervention in our life, not just for our basic needs, but then also that the Holy Spirit would do his will in our life and that he would guide and direct us to what it is that we are supposed to ask for. The last verse that we're going to look at is Psalm 37. Now, this psalm was written by David. And we understand this was written near the end of his life. So this is kind of his final words after living a life following God. I'm going to start in verse 4. He says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what's coming. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, you will not find them, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. So here we have David, he's looking at the big picture. He's not saying this time in my life, honestly, it just really sucks. he's saying there are so many things that happen in life that make up the big picture and yes we will see people who get things they don't deserve and yes things will not seem fair all the time but god is in control and to this he says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart now the word delight means to experience a great pleasure and joy in their presence It's impossible to delight ourselves in the Lord unless we are spending time with him on a very regular basis. It takes time to get to know him, to understand him, and then for us to fully love him. So delighting ourselves in the Lord means spending time with him regularly. And then it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. And then to commit means to trust him, to put all of our cares onto him, and then he will take care of us. Our heart has to seek after God first, and then when we start to seek after God, then he will change our heart to desire what it is that he wants us to desire. And then further down, he says, and this is the important one here that often gets skipped over, Wait patiently on the Lord. Again, we have this tendency to want everything to happen right now. We think, just like that prayer of Jabez, if we pray it right now, 15 minutes from now, it's going to happen. But God wants to teach us to rely on him and to be further growing our relationship with him all the time, to wait patiently on him. So putting these verses into practice, how is it that we are supposed to live with the idea of being happy or dealing with struggles. And there's three things I want us to look at. The first one is the problem with this whole idea of prosperity and the prosperity gospel is when people struggle or suffer, it's not because they do or don't deserve what is happening to them. Uh, I grew up in a very close-knit family, and uh, I had some cousins. We spent all of our summers together up at the lake, and I had a cousin. um, His name was Robbie, and he was, at the age of four, diagnosed with a brain tumor, and uh, for his life as a child, growing up, was very difficult, and We prayed daily that God would heal him of his brain tumor. And uh, there were seasons of time that were really good, and there were seasons of time that were really bad. And when he was 21 years old, um, on Easter Sunday, he went into a coma, and he never came out. And he spent six months in the hospital in a coma, and my aunt, who was a devout Christian, prayed daily daily, that God would heal his life. And when the time came that they realized he wasn't going to be healed, then of course he passed away. And I remember my aunt telling a story about a woman whose child had been in the bed next to her and uh, his her son had been healed. And this woman had said, well, you know what? We just prayed and prayed and prayed and then God healed him. And so immediately my aunt, begins to believe that she has done something wrong that she did not pray hard enough for God to give her the desires of her heart now when we begin to believe this way we think that we have the ability to control God, the outcome of situations and we have the we start to believe that because of our actions God will change the course of the history. So sometimes God, it's not to say that you can't pray and something will happen. Of course we are to pray, and of course we are to ask God for the desires that are on our heart. But it doesn't mean that that outcome is based on our actions. There are a couple of examples in the Bible that are perfect for that. You know, we, we looked at the verse last week. that's the parable of the mustard seed that said, "...even him with little faith can move mountains." And so there are many times in the Bible where people have gone, especially in, to Jesus in the New Testament, and said, help me to have the faith. And then he's performed miracles. And then there are countless stories of people in the Old and New Testament whose lives were tragedy. When we look at somebody like Joseph, who you know was thrown into a pit, was sold into slavery, was in jail, and he lived his whole life in order to honor God. People like Hosea, who had to marry a prostitute, I'm sure everybody looked at him and said, well, this is all your fault. And how could he ever f- understand that this was God's picture for Israel? This was something that thousands of years later, we would be looking back on and saying, wow, that's why it happened. But we cannot understand the heart of God. We can't know why he chooses to answer some prayers and why he doesn't answer other prayers. And so we need to believe that his will is the best, and that uh, we can't possibly just ask for something and expect that it's immediately going to happen. All of that we have is a result of God's glory and grace. We are all sinners. We don't deserve anything that we have. So to think that if we can just pray and ask and get it is to believe that we deserve it, and we don't deserve it. It's because of God's grace that we have it. If we start praying to God like he's Santa Claus, we are believing we're worthy of such things and that we can wish or will them into being. And that leads us to the second one. Our earthly desires and plans are not necessarily God's desires and plans for us. When we start to live in this sense of I can ask for it and I can get it, we are focusing on worldly things. We begin to fixate on on the things that are of this world, and that's not the way that God wants us to be living our lives. There is a uh, preacher in the United States, he lives in Atlanta, and he has over 200,000 followers, and he is a prosperity gospel preacher. He gets up every week, and he tells people that if they just give and give and give, they're going to get and get and get. And recently, there was a big scandal because he asked his followers for 65 million dollars to buy a jet because it was required in order for him to travel around and do the ministry that God had asked him to do. So he said to his 200,000 followers, if everyone just gives like $300 each towards my jet, then I'll be able to use that for God, and then that will bless the rest of the world. And the unfortunate thing, of course, is not only that people are being asked to do this, but People with nothing are believing in that because they want the hope and the understanding that that can happen. And so they believe this man to uh, give of things they don't have in order to buy this jet. And anyone who looks at the life of Jesus can understand this is so not in line with what he would have us do. And then the other thing that's so unfortunate about that is that non-Christians look at that and they think that's how we live our lives. They think that Christians are just about money grabbers. This guy has three, four million dollar homes and he drives these fancy cars and this article I was reading about his, this specific story had 91,000 likes on Facebook for people who were saying, these crazy Christians, how can they believe this? So this man has focused his life on getting stuff for himself, and as a result, he is taking the focus off of the work that Jesus really wants us to do here on earth. So we need to pray that our desires would be in line with God's desires said many times that uh, this never truly became a picture to me until I had kids. And I look at my own children, and they ask for the most ridiculous things. Sometimes they have no idea what they really need, and they sit there crying, having temper tantrums over, you know, an Xbox game or a cheerio it doesn't matter what it is but anybody who's spent any time with kids understands what i'm talking about the younger that you are the harder it is to understand the big picture of life or son Isaac said to my husband, Jared, this morning about his trip to Africa, dad, did you forget um, what our house looked like while you were away? And Jared said, you know, 18 days in my life is much shorter than 18 days in your life. But kids have such a small picture of what the grand scheme of life is. And we have such a small picture of what God's ultimate plan is. And so we need to be asking God that he would give us the right desires because he knows what's best for us. And the final one, the most important one, is God is all we need. Salvation is the only prosperity that we need. In the Bible, the word prosperity is actually linked to shalom, which we all know means peace. And shalom is not only peace, but it also means completeness, or welfare. It means that when we say, or when God says, I have a plan to prosper you, He's saying, I have a plan to make your life complete. I have a plan to make your life whole. But that life is not here on earth. It's in heaven with him. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior and we receive salvation, our completeness will come in that relationship with him. And our life should be lived on this gradual progression of getting closer and closer to him and closer and closer to the desires of his heart. I love the story of Moses. And it's a tragic ending if you look at it from the world's eyes. Here's this man who spends his entire life uh, living for God and uh, working towards the end goal of getting the Israelites into the promised land. And they spend, you know, all these years in the desert and he spends years alone with God in the desert and just reaching forward to get to this promised land his whole life. And it's tragic because he never gets there. He leads the people And then he's right there overlooking. God gives him the opportunity to look over and to see everything that is in front of him to say, this is the promised land I promised you. And then Moses dies right there, 120 years of working towards the school and he dies at the finish line. It's like running a marathon and having a heart attack at the finish line. (laughs) But two two chapters right before he dies, Moses says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. God told Moses that he was not going to get to the promised land, and even in the midst of knowing that he'd worked his whole life for this, that he was going to stand on that mountain and see the end, he could still say, God is perfect. His plan is perfect. So when we look at the verses in the Bible that talk about God's hope and plan for our future, for prospering, for giving us what we want, what we need, we need to be asking with him in mind, with his greater plan in mind, knowing that we may never get what it is that we desire in our heart right now, but his plan is perfect and he is best and we need to trust in him. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though we can't possibly understand what you have in store for each of our lives, that your plan is perfect, Lord. We thank you first and foremost for salvation, for Jesus dying on the cross, for the opportunity that we have to be in a relationship with you, We thank you that our lives will be made complete when we see you in heaven. And we ask, Lord, that each day while we are here on this earth that we would look at things through the lens that you have given us through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit's prompting on our lives, that we wouldn't look at the world and want what the world wants, but that we would look to you and we would want what you want for us. We pray as we go out this week that you would continue to convict our hearts of areas in our lives where we need to turn it over to you, that we need to trust you, we need to commit to you, and where we need to wait patiently knowing that your plans are best. In your name I pray, amen.